because you have a preconceived notion. And I think that's that's I think that's what a lot of folks that really go into hard times is that again they have a preconceived notion mm-hmm. yeah. um, whether it's based on truth or not, they right. just thought you know, when I gave my life to Christ everything was going to be good. Yeah. Or when they gave my life to Christ I was going to be, you know, I was going to live healed or you know mm-hmm. and then they lose their job or a sickness is you know uh, bore out in their life or yeah. they lose something or someone so close to them, a marriage fails right. and then they just question everything. Yeah. And 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 then they have to walk through this season in their life where they say or where they have to wrestle so where is God in the midst of this and how should I see God in the midst of this and then what should I do welcome to stories I didn't tell last Sunday hey I'm Doug McAllister for Journey Fellowship Church and today joining me is Pastor Ken who's our campus pastor here at Journey and Pastor Al our next step pastor and today we're talking about the dark night of the soul, which is kind of a continuation from last week. You know, last week we got into um, deconstructionism, and we were talking about when people have a crisis of their faith and how now it's become like a whole movement of people explaining it. Uh, but I think it's still the same exact experience that's been going on in Christianity for 2,000 years, don't you think? Mm-hmm. I think anything's new about this, other than we gave it a fancy name. Right. You know, it's like giving a disease a brand new name. It's still the same thing. Uh, but today, I want to talk about someone who experienced a dark night of the soul, and it turned out to be a very positive experience for him. And maybe you guys have a personal story y'all want to share, or maybe you know of somebody else's story that can help us bring clarity to this whole discussion about deconstructionism. But the person that I want to talk about today. I want to open with a story about Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was uh, a theologian and a pastor and a leader and a missionary in the Presbyterian movement in the mid-20th century. You guys all know him, and we've read his work. Uh, but I found out this, that I haven't read nearly enough about Francis Schaeffer. Uh, I discovered four of the books that I haven't read about him that I put on my reading list. Uh, of course, his most famous work that everybody knows him by is How Then Shall We Live, uh, which is sort of like his, uh, his, you know, his life story or his his, you know, his mission in life was how to how to make Christianity the uh, founding, uh, you know, um, document of a life and use the Bible as your worldview. So that that book really helps kind of lay that out for him. That Christianity to him wasn't just a religion, but it was a way of life. But also, it shaped his worldview. And he said that all of us are philosophers, you know, because everybody creates their own worldview. So in essence, all of us are, you know, philosophers. He got saved at 17 years old, um, came to faith in Christ real early uh, after reading the Bible through. He read uh, lots of philosophers and thinkers uh, in Western uh, civilization. And when he got to the Bible, that's the one that opened his eyes. And in his own writings, he said, if Christianity is the message of Christianity is true, then this is the greatest message ever written. And he was 17. 17. So I'm just thinking about a few 17 year olds. A child. Yeah. And uh, how not too many of them are wrestling with their worldviews. (laughs) (laughs) I was wrestling with the fishing line at 17, man. He's wrestling with. You know, the yeah. world's philosophies. Yeah, he's reading philosophy books, and I'm, I'm reading comic books. Yeah. Seen, so, yeah, it's yeah, a little bit different. Did you ever collect Archie? No. You didn't? How about you? <laughs> Definitely not Archie. What did y'all collect? What did y'all read? Spider-Man. Yeah. Batman. Yeah. 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 yeah, Superman. I love Superman. Uh, once in the back of uh, one of the comic books, there was an ad. There's always a different ad every week. And 
back then, this is in the 70s, a comic book was like 29 cents. So I'd buy one every week. My mom would go to the grocery store, and I would get a comic book. Uh, in the back of it, there was always a, a, a really weird outlandish ad. And one of them was, for $1.99, you could get a whole fishing setup, a tackle box, a, ta- a, a, a rod and reel, and bait. I thought, man, this is the best deal ever for a dollar ninety nine. Like that they threw in the bait. Yeah, you get bait. So I scraped together all my quarters, and I you had to mail it off. So I mailed off cash to somewhere in you know Colorado, and six weeks later I got back in the mail a, a tiny little fishing pole about this long, a tiny little box that was a, ca- a tackle box, and live uh, dead minnows sealed in a plastic bag. <laughs> good stuff. Four dollar ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, I sent away for the uh, X-ray vision glasses because I had other purposes for those. <laughs> Did they ever work? No, they didn't work at all. You couldn't see nothing. <laughs> How much were they? You remember? No, I don't remember. <laughs> I remember those too. I remember sending away for them. Yeah. You ever buy anything off comic book? I think we did the sea monkeys when I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sea monkey. Yeah. Is that a real thing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they're real. They don't turn into monkeys. I don't, they're not sea monkeys, but yeah, <laughs> there's some they? kind of little animal that grows. I don't know. I don't know. That, and then the uh, you know everybody that wanted to buff up their body had to get the uh, Jack Lalane. Yeah. No, no, it was, it was the it's guy that kicked sand. In. Atlas, yeah, yeah, Charles Atlas, yeah. yeah, Charles Atlas. Atlas that, yeah, yeah seventy nine cents. You could get uh, his magazine. <laughs> yeah, how to build all your how muscles. How to buff up, up man. Yeah. yeah, the worst deal I ever made though was I ordered a life size poster of Frankenstein. So it came in the mail and I unrolled it, <laughs> and it's six and a half feet tall, and I didn't know this, but it was glow in the dark. So at night, when my dad turned the lights off for me to go to bed, I had just giant Frankenstein standing over my bed like this. I couldn't sleep for like six months, man. So dad took it down finally. He's like, I, I can't sleep with this. Yeah. And you're right. It, did, it took yeah, it took months to get the stuff. It wasn't yeah. like Amazon Prime where you no, had it tomorrow. Man. It took forever. You waited for it, waited for it. I get it. mad. If yeah. my package ain't here in two days, <laughs> yeah, exactly. what the heck is wrong with like these that, people? In 42 days, I'm getting my package, man. <laughs> I'm getting yeah. my stuff, boy. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that every generation, you know, we called them comic books, and now they changed the whole name. You know, Jing said she wanted to go to the library. I said, what, what are you looking for? She goes, a graphic novel. I said, so I'm thinking, a graphic novel? Yeah. Would, which sounds like, like an adult, co- yeah. you know, Yeah, exactly. Comic it's like, book, yeah. What is it? yeah, it's comic books. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, I guess we yeah. can't call them. Every generation has to redefine what. Yeah, know, it's you know. now it's a graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The and there's a whole movement in Japan. What is that artwork called in Japan they did? Anime. Anime, yeah, it's a whole, you know, different style of, uh, of comic books. And now all of our heroes from the 70s are on the big screen as superheroes. You know, there's, yeah. you know, all the uh, yeah, Marvel Man. comic books and yeah. um, what's all, that other group? They're all gay and they're fighting to save the planet. I know. It's, 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 the it's almost the same movie every time now. I was like, could y'all come up with a new storyline, people? Yeah, I mean, back when you were a Superman, it was something new every week, man. Yeah. You ever, you ever uh, buy a Mad magazine in the 70s or 80s? All of them. Yeah. Man, I love the Mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the high-tech the high part of Mad was the back inside cover, if you folded it just right, it made another image. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that was yeah. high-tech, man. <laughs> Folding paper was the high, high-tech thing to do back then. So we should apologize for anybody that's under the age of 40. Yeah, who's listening to no this? no idea what we're even talking Don't about. Don't tune out. It gets yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, anyway, um, how did we get off on comic books? What were we talking you, about? You could thank me for that. That was you, right? <laughs> yeah, always, always. Al. So, um, talking about Schaefer somehow. We got on comic books. I 17 years old. He was a philosopher. Yeah, there you go. He was reading philosophy. Yeah, Ken said I was reading comic books at 17. Yeah. Well, that's the deal, man. When I was 17, but, you know, I, I did read the Bible through when I was 18. 
That's the first time I ever read it through from cover to cover at 18. But when Schaefer read it at 17, it profoundly changed the direction of his entire life, which I think it has that effect on all of us. But his was like immediate. Right. You know, immediate transformation. Uh, so let me read this book. I mean, let me read this scripture, and then we'll get into some of his writings in his books. Mark nine twenty four uh, is a story in Mark nine when Jesus cast out the demon out of the little boy that had uh, a mute spirit and he couldn't talk, and Jesus cast out the devil. And the father asked Jesus, uh, "If you can do anything, please have mercy on us." And Jesus answered him, if I can do anything, that was his response. If he said, Jesus said, all things are possible if you believe, which I think is, you know, uh, true in every situation. But then the man said something I think is very telling about this whole dark night of the soul deconstructionism movement that we're discussing. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. Man, what a deep statement. Because doubt is not always the enemy of faith. Sometimes doubt is just your own soul alerting you to an unanswered question. Mm-hmm. It may be a good thing. You know, so Jesus healed the boy, but the father, I think, preached a message and could write a book about, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that was sort of like the life, the life message of Francis Schaeffer, is that how we can apply the teachings of Christ to our life, not just our faith, but our doubt. Here's 10 things real quick. I'm going to go over them real quick because they're each deserve to be talked about. But here's 10 things about Schaefer that I think are significant. One, the Bible was central to his worldview. Two, he experienced deep spiritual crisis at one point in his life, which I think we all do. Three, he founded Labri, which was based on a rich view of sanctification. It became a worldwide discipleship movement. Number four, he believed in the dignity of all humans. Number five, which was revolutionary in the 1950s, by the way, he affirmed the dual reality that there is no truth without love, but also that there is no love without truth. You know, and I think that, you know, speaks for itself. Number six, he thought that the best apologetic method was presuppositional. And he, didn't, he never really developed a systematic approach to apologetics. He basically took it case by case and found the truth in the experience of his life as he lined his life up with the Word of God. He presupposed the Bible was right and that he had to line up his life with it. Wow, which is a revolutionary view. Oh, the Bible is right, and I need to change. Oh, number seven, he affirmed the goodness of creation. Uh, and he, he spoke a lot about pollution and uh, he didn't use the word fossil fuels, but he was talking about fossil fuels. He was talking about ecology and all the things that we wrestle with today. But he had a very sound biblical view of creation care. Uh, number eight, he liked to trace the rise and decline of Western civilization. And that's the first thing that turned me on to him when I first read about his uh, his tracing of Western civ from the Roman Empire till today you know, from the rise of Christianity to the rise of uh, the, the, the modern Western civilization. And, man, what a great take he had on it. And, you know, he spoke very clearly about what he thinks is ahead for us. Uh, number nine, he applied the Christian message to all of his life. Art, racism, pollution, affluence, even the destruction of life. And finally, and he was strongly, strongly pro-life, uh, anti-euthanasia, pro-dignity for 
the unborn and the aged. And number 10, he deeply loved his wife, Edith, which I think is very telling that he and Edith had a wonderful relationship, raised four amazing children, built a ministry center in Switzerland. And let me uh, kind of wrap up this story about Francis. I encourage you, go read Schaefer's works. There are four books I recommend. If you want to write these down, I'll put them on the screen for you. Here's four books I think should be in every believer's library. Schaefer wrote, How Then Shall We Live?, the first book that I discovered from him. But here's three more that I haven't read yet, but I've glanced through and I plan to read. The God Who Is There is the second book. The third, Escape from Reason. And finally, He Is There and He Is Not Silent. Four books I think every believer should have in their library. So his, his crowning achievement in ministry was he was a, a, a Presbyterian missionary. When he went to Europe to engage in his ministry, he discovered that Western Protestantism had lost its passion. And this is what he said, it felt angry and cold. And that's where the dark night of his soul began. He, he said in some of his writings, and I'm paraphrasing, that if this is what Christianity is, maybe I'm just fooling myself. <laughs> maybe this is not real. Because all these people have been here for hundreds of years, maybe... I'm the one that's wrong. But so it led to him re-examining, and he said he tore it back down to the very basics of the gospel. And that's where he came to the point of it's about God's truth and God's love. We need both. He said the church that he was part of had lots of truth but very little love. So he resigned his appointment. He opened a ministry, in his own ministry, in the mountains of Switzerland, in the Alps, and it's called Labrie, uh, which basically now has turned into a worldwide discipleship arm. And it's, it's not a retreat center, and it's not a conference center, and it's not really a school. It's all of those things, but it's none of those things. It's basically a place where you can go and have a dark night of the soul and just kind of experience God in a real way and work through your questions and your doubts and find out, you know, the answer to the question that your soul is asking. You know, that's probably his greatest legacy. Before he died, he wrote a book with C. Everett Koop, uh, who was the Surgeon General under the uh, Reagan administration. So this is at the end of his life. He died in the 19, I think, 84, 85. So he, uh, he wrote this book. One of his last works was a work with uh, Dr. C. Everett Koop. You know, but he was always about your personal relationship with Jesus. And the last thing I want to say before we talk about our own dark night of the soul uh, I think you can define his life in a single thought. He said that he wanted Christianity to be built around authentic community. That, he said, is the essence of Christianity in, in walking with Jesus and walking with other believers. And, man, that is really the basics of all Christianity, loving God, loving each other, and loving yourself. You know, and he he lived it out. You know, and I think they're they're in like twelve or fourteen nations. You know, his successors, his son-in-law, uh, and his daughter, and his wife who passed also. But they've carried on his ministry, and now they're uh, they have these Labrie centers all around the world. There's a couple in America, one in Minnesota, and another in somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, but there's two of these places to go and just renew your faith and get things straight between you and Jesus and you and other other people. So Francis Schaeffer, it's a story worth reading. Read his books. Uh, I've discovered uh, a whole new library shelf that I'm going to get into in the next few weeks of uh, a man who lived, you know, in the 20th century who may have been one of the greatest uh, disciple makers of our generation. So anyway, 
I thought we would uh, take a few minutes today, Ken and Al, and I, myself, and tell a few stories of our own dark night of the soul. Uh, and I think we've all had one. But I think it's more important that the people watching is that you know that if you're going through a dark night of your soul, if you're walking in doubt, that you're not alone and it, you're not the first person it's ever happened to. In fact, it's a very common part of maturing in the faith. You know, it's when, it's when the Holy Spirit uh, puts you on a shelf and is allowing you to come to room temperature to rest. You know, if you if you bake, you know, you know, you got to let what you, whatever you bake sit after it's baked so that it can, you know, firm together and all the chemical reactions can have time to set. You know, or if you're if you're building a project, building a house or if you're, you know, if you're on a long road trip, there's always these moments of waiting where it seems like nothing is happening. And I think in our faith, because we get saved and we're so emotional and it's such a, you know, spiritual experience. The moment we have a lull in our faith, we think maybe, you know, what we experienced wasn't real, or maybe God left us, or maybe my sin's too great. And how a person can get through that uh, is the, you know, the question we're asking today. You know, I've been through it. Ken, have you had a dark night of your soul? Have you had one, Al? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think it's common to us. And, you know, I don't want to have another one. But I've had a couple in my life where I had to just come down and get in the, the grips with my own dark night of the soul. I had one that I want to share about off the bat. It, it's a short one, uh, but it, it was a real season in my life that really could have changed everything. So uh, I was in Bible college. I had ran out of money. I was paying cash to go. Uh, and at the semester that I was, I was thinking about transferring or taking a semester off to go work, make some more money, uh, the chancellor of our school uh, had moral failure and had to resign. And a lot of my friends and a lot of the students in the school left and went to other schools. A lot, some of them backslid and left the faith. Uh, I didn't do any of that. I stayed true to Jesus and I stayed true to my call. But what I had was, wait, am I doing it? Is this what I should be doing with my life? Kind of a question. So that semester that I took off, I, I, took, a, I took a sales job, which I am not a really good salesman. You know, because if, if you need it and you can't afford it, I'll just give it to you, you know. And you don't make any money when you give away your product. So I'd bring the uh, briefcase back at the end of the day. There was no samples left, and I gave away it. So I didn't last very long in sales. You know, I was really bad at it. But I had a, I had a life-changing experience in those three months. And sometimes you're, God puts you in a place, and you think he's forgotten about you, and you think, man, it, it, this is all pointless. And it may be the exact place God wanted you to be the whole time. So I'm standing on a, a street corner. And I'm going to a sales call, and I'm standing there, and I, I remember waiting for the light to change. I looked at the heaven, and I said, and backstory is I'd been three months living in this depression, dark night of the soul, like, should I quit? Should I move on? I didn't know what to do. And I looked up to heaven, and I said, Lord, I give up. I know you've called me, but everything I've tried has failed so far, so I don't know what else to do other than this to say, I'll just... Keep serving you until you make it clear. And Ken, at that moment, it was like a million pounds lifted off my soul. And it didn't matter anymore. And I just came to terms with this may be where God has me. And I said, God, I'm going to serve you no matter what. Whether I ever finish Bible college, if I ever preach a sermon, I am going to serve you, period. Um, nothing changed really that day. I still had to go report to the, my sales manager and I still was let go a couple of weeks later and it was still pretty bad. But what changed inside of me was everything. And I think that may be 
probably the point of the dark night is what God's doing in us. So that's one of my dark nights. You guys want to jump in with a story or anybody come to mind with something you want to share? Well, I think um, part of it when we talk about the dark night of your soul, it's, I think it's kind of relative to each person. Every person um, struggles with um, things of faith. I think for Schaefer, his was... Uh, you know, so I think some are more dramatic than others, or, yeah. or some I say deeper. You know, we use language like that. His was it's to such an, a point um, that he he really went, went back. To, he said to the he said he told his wife Edith that he was going to go all the way back to his agnosticism, yeah. uh, that he just didn't know what to believe. Um, so he was deconstructing, right? He was questioning what is truth and all those type of things. But the reason he got to that point is that he, it was his own personal struggle. I think that's when we talk about the dark night of your soul. It's usually a personal struggle that we're going through. Something that is just, yeah. it doesn't, something we can't reconcile almost, whether it's intellectually or whether spiritually or, you know, how our eyes see the world. And for Schaefer, he saw the world and he saw what, he would read the Bible and see what the Bible's claims were, that it would take a man, change him, you know, that Christ would infill him, and then that person would be transformed into the image of Christ. And, of course, you look at the Christ, Jesus of the Bible, he loved people, he cared for people, he healed people, he came to die for their soul, you know, right. to, to reconnect them with God. And he said when he looked at Christianity, he said he didn't see any of it. Yeah. He said he saw none of it. And he could not reconcile in his mind the truth of what the Scriptures proclaimed and what he really saw when he really looked around, he, he even had this, a, a discussion with his wife, and he said, if we took out prayer and the spiritual things that we do in our lives, would our lives really be any different? Would yeah. we really be any different yeah. if we didn't know anything about God? And he said, I, I just don't know. And so that's when he kind of deconstructed and said, I'm going to go, and I'm just going to go. And that was in 1951, which was... you know, So he found Christ at 17. 17 years later, in his mid-30s, he's having this... You know this 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 time where he's kind of questioning everything, and it was at that point that he said that for two years he would you know he's in um, Switzerland uh, he's at Labrie uh, and he's walking in the mountains. He said when the when the weather was nice and when the weather wasn't nice, he said he's walking in this hayloft in a barn that he owned. Right. And he said for two years he would just pray. He would just talk to God. So it was interesting with his deconstruction, even though he said he was going to go back to his agnosticism, it wasn't that he was throwing out Christianity. Right. He said he just had to figure out what it really meant to him and what yeah. the truths of the Bible spoke to him. Yeah. And so at the end of it, after two years, he said God spoke to him about yeah. the Scriptures and through the yeah. Scriptures and, and kind of shed a light into his situation. And uh, so for him... It was at that point of, uh, I think a lot of people, when they have a hard time, they're ready to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You know, they're ready to take everything about Christianity and say, because I can't reconcile it in my mind, I'm going to just throw it all away. Yeah. And then they have that, we call it that their crisis of faith or that time. Yeah. And uh, it can be very impactful. Um, but, but I like his story because he, he, he wasn't willing to let go of truth. Yeah. He still saw the Bible as truth. Um, so so when, when, you know, we talk about our own... Um, times where we struggle. I don't know if I've ever had a time where I thought I'm going to walk away from Christianity. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had that type of an instance in my life. Yeah. But like you, I think there's times where you just cannot reconcile the things that are going on with the things that you believe God has spoken to you or as you've read the scriptures that you see in the scriptures. Yeah. And then you question, so how is this truth? Yeah. Or how does this how can I really believe in this yeah. if I can't see it? You know, and that's part of faith is believing when you sometimes don't see. And so yeah. 
like you, same type of a thing. We, we were doing ministry for, um, and that was the other thing. So it's interesting because at 34, um, Schaefer had already been, pa- he had already pastored three churches in the United States. Right. So this is not a man that, you know, wasn't yeah. in ministry and did ministry every single day. Yeah. He was doing that. So, <clears throat> um, so I was, I was working full time and I, you know, I, I don't forget we talked about this in the past, but I was working full, full time to support my ministry habit that, you know, we, we pastored, but we weren't paid because yeah. the church was too small. There's a lot of different circumstances going on. Um, so I had to work a secular job and I was at a point of 10 years of doing that. And you're thinking, will I ever get into ministry? Yeah. More of a type of a thing. And so, so I think one of those hard seasons in my own life was when I was just trying to say, okay, so what do you want me to do, God? Do you want me just to... Um, kind of like you said, just wait, just continue in this waiting game, continue in this place of uh, maybe I just work full time and you know go to church on Sundays, help out at a local church, or uh, do I believe you at a different level to really believe that you have called me into ministry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some uh, in a sense full time and, and pastoring at a different level than kind of what I was doing on a volunteer basis. So I think that was one of my really hard struggles, and again, I had to deal with me kind of reconciling what I saw the truth of the scriptures saying to my life and yet not seeing them mm-hmm. come to fruition. I think my frustration was all my, lots of my friends were getting great ministry jobs. Yeah. Like some of the knuckles I went to school with shouldn't even been in ministry and they were landing like, you know, the biggest church job in, uh, on the list. I'm like, how is this happening to all these knuckleheads? Of course, right. God has plans for everybody and they had gifts I didn't see and I was very self-centered and I know a lot of it was me but in my world it looked like everybody else who was goofing off was getting the plum assignments and here I am knocking on doors making cold sales calls like how long is this going to last Lord and the Lord just left me there until I came to the end of my rope and said okay I'll stay here right if that's what it means I'll just keep doing this right that's when everything changed you know literally and God you know uh I don't think it lifted immediately, but I think I look back. That was the beginning of my transition out of that dark night of my soul. So you were in yours for ten years. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the struggle of trying to. Yeah, yeah. always questioning when is the opportunity going to, yeah. you know, make itself available. Yeah. You know, all those different things that you, you know, because you have a preconceived notion. And I think that's that's. I think that's what a lot of folks that really go into hard times is that again they have a preconceived notion, mm-hmm. yeah. um, whether it's based on truth or not they right. just thought you know, when i gave my life to christ everything was going to be good yeah or when they gave my life to christ i was going to be you know i was going to live healed or you know mm-hmm. and then they lose their job or a sicknesses you know uh, bore out in their life or yeah. they lose something or someone so close to them a marriage fails right. and then they just question everything yeah and and, and then they have to walk through this season in their life where they say or the, where they have to wrestle so where is God in the midst of this, yeah. and how should I see God in the midst of this, and then what should I do in the, kind of in the midst? And I of think this? sometimes we misunderstand that when God lets us go through tough things, that like when somebody we love dies, or if our marriage fails, or if an opportunity that we thought we was going to have does not come through, or even a personal crisis like a sickness or an accident, all these things you know didn't catch God by surprise. Right. Not that He caused them, but He knew and knows what we're going through. And yet, sometimes he lets us stay there longer than we want to. Yeah. I saw a little meme the other day, and uh, people have probably seen it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, social media, where there's the, there's the impression that um, of my life, when I, when I look at it, when I come to Christ, it's supposed to be this line that just kind of steadily goes up. And you see, you know, they, they draw a straight line. That's how I see my life with yeah. Christ. And then the reality is 
Yeah, you you end up at the same place, but that line isn't a straight line. That line has dips and curves yeah. and mountaintops and low spots, and and that's more of what the of the life of the Christian really looks like. Because yeah. it's in those moments, and you said that a little while ago. It's in those moments that you really have to kind to walk just in that trust, in that faith, in yeah. that relationship with God. That many times when things are going well, we just don't walk in. We choose, yeah. we just live at a different type of a level spiritually. We yeah. just kind of get by. And, and you become aware of everything around you. When you're going through this crisis, like your senses are on high alert and you feel and notice everything. Sometimes when things are going great, you're just kind of gliding from victory to victory to victory. But when you're like crushed, being crushed, you notice every drop that leaves your body. You know, you, you're aware, you know, significantly, acutely aware of every moment. And that may be what God's doing is slowing us down and letting us really just become the wine that he's, you know, creating in the, in the press. You know, so... That's where I find myself a lot. How about how about you, Al? Any well, I think it's just thoughts? important. I think it's important to to kind of reiterate that everybody's experience is different and it's personal. Yeah. So you know, yeah. Pastor Ken and, and you both mentioned you know uh, ministry experiences yeah. specifically, and for most people who are watching, that isn't going to be the case. Um, but you know, and I told you before we started Absolutely. today, it was. Um, interesting to me that you you chose this topic to talk about, not really even knowing that for the last two months, it's literally what I've been reading and studying yeah. in school um, for the the class that I finished. And uh, so I read C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed. I read Martin Luther King Jr.'s autobiography. I read uh, two other books. And the point being, you know, we we're looking at how different people dealt with seasons of orientation seasons where things were all messed up, mm -hmm. disoriented, and you were having a dark night of the soul, and then how you came through on the other side of that. And we just kind of looked at different people's lives, some famous and some class members, and, uh, and talked about those experiences. But in, um, in for the most part, what I see is that it's, it's, it's a very personal experience. This dark night of the soul isn't always somebody wrestling with their faith. Do I believe this or do I not believe this? For somebody like C.S. Lewis, it was more like, I can't believe, I've read about grief, I've experienced grief, but mm -hmm. when his wife died, mm -hmm. it was a whole nother level. And, and it, was, it was this loneliness even in a crowded room. Yeah. He didn't, you know, he wasn't in a place where he necessarily didn't trust or believe God anymore. Now, he did get to some pretty hard points, but it wasn't that he didn't believe God's word. It wasn't that he, he was really throwing everything out or deconstructing his faith even. It was just this crisis right. in life that disoriented everything that he knew. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know how to get through it. Right. Yeah. Is that um, a grief observed? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a brutal book to read. Right. You know, but... I think it's true of all of us. Ours may not be the death of our spouse. It could be anything else. But when we find ourselves in these places where we don't know how to get through. Right. Yeah, so it's a very personal experience. It isn't always just something that, like, oh, I, re I read the Bible, I believed it one day, and then a year later, 10 years later, I no longer believed it, or yeah. I had to deconstruct, or whatever the case may be. That's yeah. common, but it isn't everybody's experience. Sometimes you, you could you could have a 15-year career, and everything can be amazing, and you're going to church, and you're tithing, and you're participating, and everything seems good, yeah. and all of a sudden you get fired unexpectedly. Right. 
and you don't understand why. And then the stock market crashes, and we go into a recession for a few years, and you yeah. got to find the new line of work. And you're wondering, God, I was doing everything. Right. What happened? Where are we at? Now, yeah. you're not questioning the, the validity of Scripture necessarily, but you are questioning right. the circumstances of your life. Everything yeah. was great, and then all of a sudden, it got turned upside down. That's one thing that Schaefer said. He said, I was doing everything right doctrinally. Mm-hmm. I was praying. I was tithing. I was witnessing. I was serving. But I was empty. Right. And that's when he came to that point. He and his wife said, if we took every scripture out of the Bible that deals with prayer and the Holy Spirit, would it change our lives? And they they both said no, because we are not really walking in communion with the Holy Spirit. So that's when he said, maybe it's me. So I think all of us come to that point where God shows us where our next step is going to come from, Mm -hmm. you know, our next level of growth. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for me personally, it was similar experiences to both of you guys. For me, I could remember um, as I was getting close to graduating SUM, you know, and trying to figure out, okay, how do I make a transition from, at that point, I was in um, the printing industry for 17 years. It was my career. I never had a job at Wendy's. I never had a job at, I never did any other thing, literally, at eight from at 18 years old, I got a job at a printing company, and that was I made it a career. Mm-hmm. And then when I was saved and and set free from my addictions and whatnot, the, I knew without a shadow of a doubt God was calling me to the ministry. When I was in rehab, I knew without a shadow of a doubt God was saying He wanted to use my story to reach and help other people. Again, I didn't know what that meant or how that was going to flesh itself out, but you know, through some mentoring and through some discipleship and through you guys just kind of pointing me in the right direction. I met Dr. Miller, got involved with uh, SUM at that point. And after four years of studying and, and right. serving and doing all that I felt like I was supposed to do, now I had to figure out, how do I make the transition? Yeah. How's this happen? So I remember asking Dylan Schultz. Yeah. I remember asking you know Joe Irostic. I remember asking all these guys who were a few years further down the road to me, hey, how did you do it? Like, yeah. what's the trick? Yeah. What's the what's the what's the combination? What's the code here? What do I got to do? Yeah, and they did exactly what you did. They just laughed at me. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a handshake? I don't They're know. This ain't how it works at all, son. Yeah. But but yeah, you, you begin to wonder, like, how is this going to happen for me? How do I go? I'm making X amount of money. How do I get paid for doing this? You know, do I get paid for yeah. doing this? And so, you know, you wrestle through those things. And even after even after that specific dark night of the soul, there were a handful of others, you know, where I was trying to figure out, okay, I'm I, I wanted to go to earn my master's degree. I had already graduated SUM for I think I was out of school for three years at that point. And um, and I and I wanted to go back for a master's degree, and I could remember I was working night shift at a, uh, a, a in printing at a place in the city, and I remember I'd spent weeks, literal weeks, fasting like no food, like like not like oh I'm just gonna have a you know I'm gonna have a smoothie every day like no I remember like I was really pressing in, mm-hmm. and believing that God was gonna give me an answer, and I just wasn't hearing it. And the answer I'm asking for is, God, which school do I go to for my master's? Do I go here or do I go there? You know, and, and, I, and I couldn't get any resolution. I couldn't get any peace in my soul as to what decision I was supposed to make. And so I remember after like three weeks of, of praying and three weeks of fasting, I'm coming home late one night. And um, I was in the car by myself. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'm uh, just, you know, literally crying and praying and speaking in tongues and asking the Lord, where are you? Why won't you speak to me? Like, I don't even feel like I hear you in the midst of this. And it's like, where? 
you know. And I remember I got home that night, and when I got home that night, I saw there were, all the clouds were cleared from the sky, and all the stars were, were out. And, and I remember just thinking of Abraham, looking up at the stars in the sky at night, and the Lord speaking to him, and I just had this idea, let me go sit in the backyard. So I went and sat in my backyard in a little lawn chair and kind of just took in the scenery of looking up at the sky and the stars in the middle of the night by myself. And, and I remember just asking the Lord, like, man, I, I, I see everything, I believe, I understand, but why can't I get an answer from you? And just as plain as day, I mean, it, I was awake, but it was like you, you see a vision, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like, mm -hmm. it's like you see something happening. But for me, it wasn't something new. It was actually a, a memory of something that had already taken place. So I was reminded of a few years prior when I was still addicted to heroin. I was reminded of laying in the fetal position on that back patio, crying out to God and wondering, why can't I quit putting this needle of drugs in my arm? You know, so now I'm sitting here and I'm crying out, God, what, ma what school do I go to for my master's degree? <laughs> you know, and so very quickly, I just remembered where yeah. I was. And I know it was the Holy Spirit just helping me see and recognize my situation. So I didn't get an answer right then and there about which school to go to. It was more like this release of, yeah. oh, my gosh, look where I was mm -hmm. and look where I am. The biggest problem in my life right now is what school do I go to to earn a master's degree? Yeah, you know, so it was all of a sudden it was the shift that took place internally, and that's a, a key point to the whole um, dark night of the soul. You mentioned it, and, and as did yourself. Before anything changed externally, something shifts or changes internally. Boy, yes, the so Spirit true. of God quickens something within us where we recognize right. we have a new way to see things. We have a new, fresh understanding. Something new happens within us, and then external circumstances begin to change afterwards. And, and that's just a powerful thing. When you know it and you believe it, all of a sudden something happens and you, you mm -hmm. start walking that out yeah. even though you don't see it. And that manifests itself, I think, in everyone's life at some point in time or another. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, the key word, what you just said, I think, is personal. This is a personal experience that you have to walk through. You can do it in the context of a small group or in the corporate body that you worship with. But in essence, man, Christianity is personal. It's between you and God. You know, Jesus is the only God of all the religions on the earth that's both personal and infinite. He's both. He is a infinite God. He was, is, and always shall be. But he's also personal that he became a human being so that he can identify with your suffering. You know, so you have a high priest who knows what right. you feel, you know, and the father uh, allowed Jesus to be perfected by the things that he suffered. That doesn't mean Jesus was not perfected. It meant he was, he finished his work by the things that he suffered. And sometimes I wonder why God allows us to suffer. And I don't really have the answer to that. All I know is it's part of the equation and God doesn't take it out. Mm -hmm. It's just something that we uh, walk through in order to mature to the places that God's calling us to be, you know, that's where I find it is real with me anyway. Yeah. Well, I just want to encourage our, our, our listeners and our viewers today that if you're going through a dark night of the soul, that if you're having a crisis of your faith, that to know that you're in good company, Francis Schaeffer, C.S. Lewis, the apostle Paul, 
and millions more in between the first century and this one have gone through the dark night of the soul as well as the pastors here at Journey. We have, we've lived through it, walked through it, and probably will live through and walk through it again should Jesus tarry and we live long enough. You know, we're always going from glory to glory. You know, uh, I want to encourage you uh, not to view your doubts as the opposite of faith, but your doubts are just questions that your soul has about your faith. And remember what the man said in Mark 9, 24, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's a great prayer to pray if you're going through a dark night of the soul. Hey, Lord, I believe and I want to follow you. I just don't understand it. I can't process it. I don't know what to do, but I know you do. Would you teach me? And it's in the waiting that we hear his voice. Yeah, I, I think um, after Schaefer kind of went through that experience, um, then in 55, he, 1955, he founded La Bray, Right. And that place was ex- for people that were kind of going through similar, similar circumstances. Now, some people Absolutely. never had faith in God, and they were agnostics, atheists coming to him, and he would listen right. to them. But a lot of it were people like him that had gone through this place, and they just knew they, they needed help. Yeah. So I would say if someone's going through an experience like that, uh, suffering in silence may not be necessarily the thing that you totally want to do. There's going to be there's going to be that time where you have to wrestle with God. It kind of you know mm-hmm. where Jacob was left on you know <clears throat> the, the shore and he moved all of his family across his story in the Bible yep. and then he wrestles with God. So we're all going to wrestle with God individually. But then there's sometimes there's such a benefit to going and talking to somebody that's kind of been. Yeah through it. Someone that can help you process sure. uh, some of your pain can kind of call you out and saying, hey, this is what it looks to me that you're you're doing. Uh, be, be careful because it looks like you're going to go down this path that might... For Schaefer, their truth was, you know, we go back to this idea of truth. Uh, the truth of, of Jesus Christ and the truth of God and the truth of the Bible, he believed were were rock solid. Yeah. They, were, they were truth. Yeah. Uh, and so... Trying to um, facilitate our, you know, our uh, just uncomfortableness, but knowing that the Bible is true and the and the God of the universe is is true, and keeping them in that position, so then we can maneuver ourselves through this place that we're in and come out on the other side, knowing that we then can be stronger and yeah. help others. Uh, that's kind of what Schaefer went through, and because he went through that, he wanted to help other people, and so that's again that's why he went to uh, he he did Labray and kind of had that thing, and and for ten years. Years, um, him and a group of people that he he would teach people kind of what he had gone through. Uh, his big deal was uh, true truth. Uh, you know, it was one of his phrases. What is true truth? And he began to talk about truth and what that would mean to a person's life and how they could get, apply truth to their lives and expect God to change the circumstances and change them from an internal kind of like Al was talking about internally, then externally. Yeah. And uh, he, after about um, oh five, six, seven years, he kind of had them all together and they taped them and and they would people would go through Labray and that's what they would focus around. And then in 1964, he put them all together, compiled them, and that's when he wrote his book, uh, True Spirituality. Mm-hmm. But it's in True Spirituality that he talks about his dark night of his soul. It's in the preface where he talks about his time in 51 and 52 where he was really questioning God. And when he comes out on the other side, he found out that for there to be a real change in the person, it would really have to occur kind of from the inside out. Yeah. But helping people facilitate that change from an inside out type of an idea versus I just got to change my circumstances. I need to change what I believe. Yeah. I need to change my orientation. I need to change, you know, all those different things. Right. 
that's just going to take you in so many different directions and leave you at the very end of it still wanting, still empty, still yeah. questioning. Um, and so Schaefer believed there was a different way to make or to get through those hard times in life, uh, yeah. but it was always with uh, God and the scriptures as the yeah. center. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's probably the key to us getting through the dark night of our soul is that we take God's word at face value. And that was his first uh, core value was the Bible is God's word. And I think when we are when we are walking in our faith, that the most important thing that we can do as believers is to not only read the Bible, but believe that the Bible is God's word. And he, he, he never threw that away. He went through all of his dark nights, but he maintained that I know this is God's word. And that, I think, probably is the, the central uh, truth to get through all of this darkness and doubt is we keep going back to the word. What does God say? And the other part of his ministry was that his his centers where he was building, you know, uh, what was it called? Labray. Labray, thank you. I forgot the word. His center, uh, he, he was built around this central thought. This is a place where people can come to begin the process of sanctification. And, man, that is a mouthful there because sanctification is not a one-time event. It's a lifetime journey, you know, that we are being sanctified. We're being set apart, you know, that we're saved. Uh, but he said if, you're, if your choices are uh, binary, perfection or nothing, he said you will always get nothing. Right. Yeah. We, have, we have to settle for better. God, I'm on this journey, and I'm growing in my discipleship, and I'm becoming sanctified. And I think if that's the attitude that we have, I know I'm not where I need to be, but I'm certainly not where I used to be, which was your story on the back porch. Right. Even though you're still in the same physical place, right. spiritually you were light years ahead of where you were. And I think that is probably part of the dark night of our soul is we want it to be over, but it's not. Right, it's the it's the journey. Yeah, in that in his book, um, True Spirituality, that very first chapter, he talks about how once you come to Christ, um, and everyone has to come to Christ through the exact same means through faith, or one, you know come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, yeah. um, and receive uh, that new spiritual birth. He said so many times people are focused on that thing as being the end. When really it should be a beginning and and appreciated, and it is a you know probably the historic moment in your life. He says, but then you have to leave that moment and just keep moving forward. Yeah, uh, that is you know the the pref uh, the point of uh, your life being changed. But again, he had a huge idea of what sanctification is. We always think it's me. It means like I have to you know stop doing certain things. When he said that we focused way too much on the negative side yeah. of sanctification, we need to really lift up more of the positive side. And by right. that, he's talked about uh, living that life of prayer, living that communion with, with yeah. Christ, not just putting away the things that we, you're going to need to do, turning yeah. away from sin. Uh, but sanctification is more than just kind of the negative connotations. It's really picking up life from the new birth yeah. and then finding Christ and his life and his power uh, through the Holy Spirit in your life and becoming all that he wants you to be from yeah. that point on. I think wrapping it up today, talking about de deconstructionism is this. You have to come to a place in your own faith that you treat God's word as truth. And you have to come to that point where you've done the You've done the due diligence, you've done the work, and that you can really believe that the Bible is true from the very first verse. Because if that's not your starting place, then everything else is sinking sand. You know, everything else is uh, quicksand. Remember the Tarzan movies? Back, you're probably too young. 
You remember Tarzan? <laughs> I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, Tarzan, he was, he was the guy that lived among the apes. But remember how, how much of a dangerous uh, quicksand was? Right. Turns out it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be in the world. I thought quicksand was everywhere, but it was just basically in Tarzan movies. Uh, right. But if you don't have God's word as truth, that everything is quicksand. You're just slowly sinking. You know, build your life on a solid foundation. You're going to have to select your source of truth as a, a, as a, as a human being. You've got to decide, is God's word truth or will you find another source? Everybody's going to find what they think is truth. I believe with all of my heart that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it was written for our instructions to lead us back to a relationship with God. That's my starting point. Now, my dark night of the soul always takes me back to the word, which takes me back to my relationship with God, which takes me back to walking in the spirit and living my life on a higher plane. You know, but when the, when the enemy is able to remove the foundation out of your life, then everything is sinking sand. You know, so let me encourage you. You know, if you don't believe the Bible is God's word, go do the research, man. It is the most, it is the most single authenticated book in the history of the world. Uh, uh, it's true as far as geography. It's true as far as history. It's true as far as theology, as far as science, as far as astronomy. Everything the Bible talks about has been found out to be accurate. There are tribes mentioned in the Old Testament that many uh Many archaeologists and many sociologists said they never existed. They were made up by the writers until we were able to discover, uh, you know, in uh, our, our digs through uh, ancient cities, the names of these tribes that were just like the Bible said. That's happened over and over and over again. How many times did we hear, you know, well, the Bible's not reliable. It's been translated and mistranslated for, thousands, for hundreds of years, if not thousands, until in the 1950s they found the Dead Sea Scrolls which dates back to the time of Christ. The original Old Testament is in the exact same form today as it was at the time of Christ. We don't have to guess that. We can know that because there's literal scrolls that date back to before uh, the church was founded. So the first 39 books of the Old Testament, all of them have been recovered with the exception of the book of Esther, and they're still searching through some of the scrolls. It still may yet be found. But we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Old Testament is exactly in the same form today as it was then. The New Testament, there are tens of thousands of original copies and quotes of copies by early church fathers of the epistles and the gospels. The, the question is not, is it authenticated? The question is, do you believe it? You know, and that, I think, is the point. You know, if you're going through a dark night of the soul, you've got to start on the foundation. What does the Word of God say? And how can I become the person that Jesus Christ has called me to be? So any closing thoughts you guys want to finish out with? You got anything? Well, we've enjoyed being with you today, man. It's been a great conversation. If you're going through the dark night of the soul, we want you to know you're not alone. I know you're going through it personally, but we'd love to do life with you. Uh, get connected at a local church. If you live near Slidell, come to Journey. Uh, you can download the Journey app, Journey Fellowship Church. Type that into the search bar of uh, your search engine. You'll see the app. Download it free. It's 
full with information, packed with resources. It'll give you a map even how to find us. We're about to kick off a brand new semester of small groups. There are dozens and dozens of small groups here at Journey that you can do life with other believers that will help you to stay on track in your faith. Uh, or you can uh, watch us online if you don't live in this area, jf.church, or you can also watch us on the app. But we would love for you to get connected in a local church somewhere nearby, a church that loves Jesus, that believes the Bible is God's word. And let me tell you, you're going to get through this dark night of your soul. You're in good company. C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, the pastors here at Journey, all the way back to the Apostle Paul. We've all had those moments. This is not a time where we pull away. It's a time where we find answers to our questions. And your doubts are it's not the enemy of faith. It's just your soul pointing out questions that you need answers to. What is the answer to those questions? Well, the 